would, I'm just going to share some thoughts with you tonight from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This has been a, a really a great study for me, and it's continuing to be. I'm really looking forward to working through all 16 chapters with you, and it's going to take us a little while. There's a lot of meat in there, and it's so applicable. The church at Corinth was right in the middle of a very affluent, a very sensual um, society, and even though there may be some things that they had at Corinth that we don't have here in Thomasville, we have them in our nation, and many of us are influenced by them. That, that is one of the downsides and the upsides to media. We know everything that's going on, and the downside is we know everything that's going on. And many times it reaches into our homes and families, sometimes even parents without us realizing it's reaching into our homes and families. So I, I pray that you will keep your eyes and ears open for your family's sake. But we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I'm aware of the time. I want to I give you something. I know you didn't just come here to fill a time slot. So I want to make sure you get something from the Word of God, and I'll be sensitive to the time as well. A plea for unity from a pastor's heart. Now, yes, I'm your pastor, and I'm pleading for this tonight, but I am echoing what the Apostle Paul has written here uh, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this church that he planted. He went to Corinth planted a church, 18 months later he left, and sometime down the road uh, he writes this letter back. Now, of course, last, last week we talked about um, the first uh, 10 verses, right, or first nine verses, how many times we saw the Lord Jesus Christ referenced, and it was how many times? 10, all right, 10 times was, was the, the actual number, if you look at the separate instances of not just his name, but who it was actually talking about. And uh, just the first nine verses, his, his salutation, if you would, setting everybody on the right foundation, he reminded them that everything that had happened, where they came from, uh, where they were going, all of it was a result of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of it. Nothing good that happened in Corinth could have happened without him, and nothing that was good going to happen in Corinth was going to happen without the Lord and it's just saturated with that. And then he continues on. We're here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. We continue on with that tonight. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, after this nine verses of talking about the Lord and how good the Lord is and how good he's been in your life, then he gets down to business. There's a few things I need to talk with you about. Verse number 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. 
Would you join with me as we ask the Lord to open our eyes to his word? Father, we, we will be wasting our time tonight if you do not work through your word. We're asking for the God-breathed words from our creator that we have been privileged to have penned and printed in our language in front of us. Would you bring them to life? Would you send them to our hearts, Lord, and would you help us apply them? Not so we can be more religious, but so that we can be genuine followers of Jesus Christ, so that our lives would actually start to reflect you. Our lives would actually have a chance of bringing you glory. Father, that's what we want. Honor yourself tonight, please. In your name I ask, amen. We, just a few thoughts here. As Paul is pleading for unity, he is starting right off at the beginning. It's so important to me that you are unified. So important. And I'm actually writing this letter because I'm hearing that that is not the case. And so because Paul is a pastor, um, a rather bold pastor we've seen in, in other letters, right? He's not afraid, it seems like, to tell the upfront truth. He doesn't, doesn't pull the punches in a sense, but we don't really think of them as punches because they're all very evidently from his heart. Sometimes truth can seem really bold, right? And that's really just the nature of truth. But the boldness of truth really is more in relation to how far we are from the truth. That kind of determines how bold it seems, right? If we're living in the truth and somebody tells us the truth, it doesn't seem bold at all. But if we're far away from the truth and then somebody brings up the truth, Wow, that was, ooh, man, that took a lot of guts. It was the same truth either way. What, what happened? Well, we were further from it. That's really what happened. And Paul seems to really stick with the truth every time, every time. And it doesn't seem to be any different here for the church at Corinth. And we see, first thing we see here is a plea from outside the church. And this is Paul. He has been gone now for, for many months. And he is hearing back that there are issues. He says in verse number 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. There be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together. Get that picture there. Perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So here's Paul, church planner, apostle, pastor. And he says, Now I beseech you, that beseech you, that, that word there is parakaleo. It just means to, to call near, to invite. So it's a little different than begging, even though it kind of has that feel to it. He is imploring. This is a question. This is a request that every single time you see it used in the New Testament, it's attached to the heart. This is not something that he's saying, okay, kids, go out, um, go out and have recess, and in 20 minutes I would like you to come in. I mean, there's no heart attached to that. He's saying, because I love you because I have spent 18 months with you, because what Jesus has done in your life, I am begging you, I am beseeching you, I am imploring you, listen to what I'm gonna tell you. There be no divisions among you. You need to be unified. He says, actually, the very next phrase, right? He says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. Well, he's only gone one verse, and already he's invoking the Lord's name on this. And is it any wonder he just spent nine verses telling them how Jesus Christ was the foundation, the root, the beginning, the end of everything they're doing and have done and will do. And he says, by the way, this is no different. Brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has done this great work in your life, I'm telling you, you need to be unified. 
his heartfelt request, he says that they would speak the same thing. He uses a personal pronoun here. It's almost as if, when you look at the Greek, it's almost as if you're talking to yourself. When he says speaking the same thing. Now, you don't, when I speak to you, you may hear something that's other than what I said, right? Sometimes we filter things or we misunderstand things. When you say something to me, I may think you said something or meant something that you really didn't say. But when I speak to myself, I always know what I mean, right? And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I, you need to, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, speak the same thing. Be so clear and so concise in your communication with each other. Be so unified as brothers and sisters in Christ that you're thinking the same thing. You're on the same page. Could we put it that way? He says, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together. Perfectly joined together. That, that word perfectly joined in there, that phrase, is, it's katarizo, to mend, to repair, to make complete. I mean, this is not as if a bunch of different people came together and were all kind of rubbing shoulders. He is talking about joined. It's, it's the picture of, of the, um, I don't know about you, but when I hold hands with my wife, I don't know, just like this, it's just, it doesn't really do anything for me. You know, just, you want to lock those fingers, right? You want to get in there and you want it to be perfectly joined together. It's so much more exhilarating, right? And uh, <laughs> teenagers think, yes, it is. <laughs> but not with my mom. I don't want to hold my mom's hand. <laughs> Um, there's something about that. It's, it's just different. It's just different. You're perfectly joined together. And how would they accomplish this? Well, he goes on. He says, uh, perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So there's some sort of thinking going on within them that is the same. It can be classified as the same. There's some uh, sort of decision-making, judging going on them within them, which is the same. There is a unity on the inside of them. Think of how difficult that is, it seems, to accomplish. I mean, we live in America, the land of the individual. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to think the same. <laughs> we're going to battle over that. That's not, I'm, I have my rights. <laughs> I'm going to think and be whatever I want to be. I mean, we're just those brash Americans. It's really not like that in all places of the world. Um, I particularly enjoy it. But how do we accomplish this? It, it ought not to be such an individualistic nature within us that, that we no longer are unified in the church, in our families. Uh, we see the same concept actually in Acts chapter 2. We've heard about it before. We've talked about it before. But I want you to see this in Acts, Acts 2.44. This is after Peter preached at Pentecost. Um, thousands came to Christ. Thousands. He says, and all that believed were together. I mean, we're talking uh, over 5,000 people. All that believed were together and had all things common. But we can't even relate to that. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. By the way, that's the only way they could have done that is because they had all things common. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness. And I love this phrase, singleness, of heart. Now, this is a King James phrase here. By the way, I was, I was uh, studying this, and uh, some of the other modern versions don't use that word, but I love the word because it gives to me a clarity of what it is. This word um, that they use for singleness here, let me find it. 
uh, is ephalates. It really means simplicity, and you have that in some of your versions if you're not using the King James. But singleness, to me, it means the same thing, but there is a simplicity to living a life that is not complicated. There really is. We have a singular focus. We're heading in one direction, and that's exactly what these people were doing. It wasn't that all of a sudden they got saved and everybody likes blue, and everybody wants to ride a one-hump camel, and everybody wants to live in a tent, and every, that's, that's not it at all. They had all things common. Well, how in the world is that, is that possible? I mean, honestly, how is that even possible? All things common. I believe they were unified to that extent, which most of us feel like would be impossible because the only thing that was important to them was Jesus. That's it. It wasn't that everything else was the same. It's that everything else didn't matter. It's the same way in our marriages, right? It's not that, that me and my wife uh, agree on everything, far from it. But when our love is correct, when the things that are really important, the love we have for one another, this stuff doesn't really matter. That's really what it is. It'll never get to the point where she and I see everything exactly the same way. It'll never get to the point where all of us see everything exactly the same way. We just have to see what really matters the same way. And then we can do stuff like this. We can sell our, all our possessions and good and just, just spread them out amongst each other because it doesn't really matter. All that matters is I have Jesus. All that matters is Jesus the Messiah who was here about 40 years ago. I'm sorry, 40 years ago. Uh, 40 days ago, 60 days ago, however long it was. He was the Messiah. He was the Lord. We crucified him. And we're all in agreement now. We need to do something about this. Peter said, repent. And they did by the thousands and everything else that they were living for all of a sudden didn't matter anymore. All that mattered was Jesus, and they were unified. And that's the key. That's the key. Paul says, it's, but it's not the way, that's not the way it is right now. He said, I hear reports that there are divisions among you. Divisions, what is that? That means there is something dividing us. By very nature, what does that mean? That means there's either a distance between us or there's a wall between us, a reason that we can't come back together or something like a wedge that is forcing us apart. And that's, that's really um, you know, what, what life just does to us. When our priorities are not where they need to be, when we are not basing the root of our lives, the foundation of our lives upon someone that never changes, someone that can be trusted and depended on in any situation, at any time, in any way, then there are going to be, as a result of that, divisions. It would have to be because we all have our own way of thinking. We all have our own way of walking. We all have our own opinion on things, on so many things. So how does the world get rid of divisions? Well, the world just says, well, there's no truth. You can think what you want. You can believe what you want. So they don't address the issue. They just make it a non-issue, as in there is no issues. But that's not the way either, because then they have now missed out on the most important issue. And that's what we need to get back to. That's what Paul is saying to them. I beseech you by the Lord Jesus Christ, 
You've got to be unified. You've got to be. I'm hearing that that's not the case. And he goes on in verse number 11 with a plea from inside the church. Plea from inside the church. He says in verse 11, It hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, Chloe, she doesn't spell their name the same way. Okay, so I know that's not you, all right? But it's been declared by the house of Chloe. Somebody within the church we're just going to say wrote, because that's probably the method that it was, unless they actually came in person. That would have been one of those two areas. They didn't have Zoom or phones or anything. Chloe, that someone in the house of Chloe had now let him know that there are contentions among you. And can I say, thank God for people in the church that actually care how it's going. And I don't mean care what brother so-and-so bought in his new car and, and uh, how long he's been with that, uh, that girlfriend or whatever. I'm talking about things that really matter there is something coming into our fellowship that is causing divisions among us. It is hurting the cause of Christ. It is not pleasing to God. We've got to call our pastor. I don't know what to do about this. And they did that. And Paul writes back. This family obviously cared about the state of the church. And that, by the way, is not easy. It's not easy to stick your neck out and give your name, by the way. This wasn't one of those anonymous letters I heard from somebody in the church that there's an issue. Well, who is it? Well, they don't want me to say. Boo. A plea from inside the church, and she left her name. She cared, genuinely cared, somebody in that family. Number three, we see that outside of Jesus, the world is divided. This is the way the world is. So it's no wonder that the church was divided because they had allowed the thinking of the world to come in. And whenever that happens, you end up being like the world. And the world is divided without a doubt. Man can tend to elevate man. And when we do, uh, the only way we remain unified is if all of those men we follow are unified. And they were having a problem with this. We're going to read this here in, in these verses in verse 12. That outside of Jesus, the world is divided. How is it happening in their church? In verse 12, it says, Now this I say, Paul is talking here. Now this I say, that every one of you saith... I'm of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, that was Peter, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I mean, there's some rhetorical questions there. Are you kidding me right now? People had started to line up behind the leader that had baptized them. And I, th I think, as far as I can tell, it almost looks like um, little Sunday school classes pitting themselves against each other because they had the best Sunday school teacher. And so it's not just that we had the best, but we are going to promote that we had the best. And matter of fact, we're better than you. And they had become their own little factions within this body. And he gives some rhetorical questions. He says, ultimately, in verse 13, is Christ divided? What is he saying there? He's saying this doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. I can promise you that. Because Christ isn't divided. Somewhere along the line, they had pulled their connection to Jesus. Now, he hadn't pulled from them, but they had pulled from him. And the natural result of that is division, because every way of a man is right in his own eyes. They're no different, and you and I are no different. We have got to keep our roots in the Lord. We have to. That's the only way we can stay unified. Paul, Paul is pointing this out to them. It's not about Apollos. He was, he was a preacher of that day. It's not about Cephas or Peter. It's not, a, it's not about Paul. And you just say, I have Christ. So I guess there were some people that were actually saying the right thing. But there were three other groups that weren't. 
And even though one of them was, um, interestingly enough, saying that they were a Paul, I mean, he had an opportunity there, saying, well, of course, the groups that sub me, that would be the best group. So I'm not going to say anything about them. But anyway, he points that out too. So we can see Paul's genuineness here. The rhetorical question, of course, Christ is not divided. Of course, Paul was not crucified for you. Were you baptized in the name of Paul, he says? I mean, come on. We see in, the, in verse 14, um, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. And, and, you know, point number four, we see a true pastor, a true shepherd, doesn't want to be elevated. He, he doesn't. Um, and you make your own judgments in your own church. I'm just saying to you, a true shepherd does not want to be elevated. If you get a pastor that wants to be promoted, if you get a pastor that wants to be in, in verbally, uh, either physically lives a life or verbally um, manipulates a life so that you esteem him to be great, there's something off in the heart of that pastor. True pastor, just like Paul here, just like any devoted Christian, does not want to be elevated. He says in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Well, that's kind of a rude thing to say. <laughs> and I, I'm glad I wasn't involved in your life in that way. And he's saying, listen, you're taking this to a whole new level. You're taking this to an ungodly level. You're taking a symbol that God laid out for us to symbolize what, what, uh, what you are now that you're in Jesus Christ. And you're making it into something it never was intended to be. I thank God in verse 14 that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any of you should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. It's interesting little, did you see his little writing style there? He, he didn't have a backspace key. <laughs> so, so you had to put that extra thought in there. That's what I see right there. You know, he couldn't like tick, backspace, tick, 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 to delete that. You know, or I got to start back at the beginning of the letter. So he keeps on going. He puts these little personal comments in there, which just makes it so, so human. So thankful that God worked through people like that. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. He says, I'm glad I baptized none of you. And then we see, lastly, a true pastor, the opposite of wants to be elevated, true pastor wants to draw the attention to Jesus. He says in verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize. He, he's making a point right there because we know the Great Commission, Jesus did send his men out and baptism was part of the process. He's saying it's not about baptism and it's not about me and it's not about them. He says, for Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. That's my goal, to proclaim. By the way, don't, don't get... Don't get sidetracked by that word preach. In the South, we think anytime you see the word preach, that means, oh, that's for the preacher. No, that's, preacher is not a biblical term. Okay, preach just means to proclaim. That's every born-again Christian in the room and outside the room. Preach the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Tell everybody you can about the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for their sins, rose from the grave, proving he was God and offers forgiveness and mercy to every sinner that will come to him in repentance. Absolutely. Amen and amen. That has nothing to do with me. That is all of us who follow Jesus Christ. He says, I came not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. This is my goal. He gives a couple little descriptions and qualifiers here, if you would. He says, not with wisdom of words, 
lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Let me give you a few, few thoughts here, and then we're done. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Let's break apart those two phrases. He says, he, he didn't come to baptize. He didn't come to, to get a following, because that's what was happening. Everybody who baptized in the church was, was getting a following. That's a little bit cultural. You and I, are, I don't know that we're going to understand how much importance they put on baptism, okay, in a, in a church like this. Maybe if we were in a church that put importance like that on it, but I don't think we really get how important this was to people religiously. It is something they really hung on to. We're in a church on, in Long Island that with, with them it was communion. They came from backgrounds where you had communion every single Sunday. And when we planted that church and we were not going to have communion every single Sunday, people were up in arms. They were upset. There were people that left the church. Well, I just can't be a Christian if I'm not having communion every single Sunday. Well, was it? They had accepted something. And communion is a great thing. Lord's Supper is an awesome thing. But God says, as often as you do, it's, it's up to the pastor, up to the church, how often you're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And it's not something that saves you. It's a symbol. It's an observance. It's a time of remembrance. So we can take things that are supposed to be good things that God has given us, and we can elevate them to a position that God never intended them to be elevated. One of those things can be baptism. It was for them here. One of those things can be men, and it was here as well. A true pastor wants to draw attention to Jesus. Paul, the pastor, the original pastor of this church, is challenging them. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. Now, that's interesting to me. Out of all of the people that could have preached with wisdom of words, Apostle Paul would have been one of them. I mean, literally, he could have filled, uh, filled the Colosseum. If people were going to come and hear the truth, he could do it very eloquently. I mean, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, a very prestigious a teacher we read about in Acts 22, 3. Uh, he tells us in Philippians 3, 3 and 4 that he was basically a purebred Hebrew. I mean, he was of the stock of Israel, one of the prized tribes of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the best of the best. This guy knew what he was talking about. If anybody was going to use words of wisdom, it would have been him. But he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach the gospel not with words of wisdom. That, to me, shows us that Paul is being very intentional about that. And we don't know exactly what that means. I don't think he got up there and just tried to sound like an idiot on purpose. What, what, is, what exactly is he saying? Well, let's, there's a descriptor here. Not with words of wisdom. Why? Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So even though you and I may not know exactly what he said and how he said it, here's what we know. He intentionally made a decision not to use what he calls words of wisdom so that the cross, the most important thing uh, in history, as far as he was concerned, as far as we're concerned, would be made of none effect. There is a purpose behind Paul holding back what could be seen as wise words. Paul is saying here that he could preach in such a way or somebody else could preach in such a way that the preaching of the cross could actually get in the way of the message of the cross. What would he be saying there? Well, here's what's happening in this instance. It would be we're preaching of the cross so well and so wisely and so eloquently that all they're looking at is us. Wow, he's a really good speaker. 
maybe something like that. Wow, those are really wise words. And we miss the simplicity. We miss the truth because we look at the man. And I don't think for a second that God is saying, well, if you're a gifted teacher, don't stir up your gifts. Of course, we don't. that's not what it is. But there's something here that Paul could have done that would have distracted from the message of the cross, and he is intentionally not doing it, intentionally. Anybody that preaches, whether it's me, whether it's you in the, in the pew, whether it's you out at your job, whether it's you at the restaurant, whether it's you in your home, preaching, proclaiming the truth. Who are people seeing? Are they seeing maybe you have a very outspoken personality? Are they just seeing somebody that's really bold and outspoken? Or are they seeing the message that you're giving to them? Are they seeing somebody that's just really quiet and backward? Or are they hearing the message that you're giving them? I believe the Lord will honor it. I wish I knew exactly what to tell you it needed to be, but I think because we're all so vastly different, I think that's why there's no cookie-cutter method here. The goal is, as Paul said, it's not about me. Don't, don't elevate me. Don't elevate baptism. It's about the message of Jesus. Don't, don't be divided over this silly stuff. Don't forget who it is that brought you from where you are. Don't forget who it is that's taking you, where you're going to be going. It's Jesus Christ. That is the goal. That is the root. That is what we're hanging on to, our rock, our tower, our strength, our fortress. Hang on to him. And you know what? The rest of the stuff doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. You're hanging on to who is important. You're talking about who is important. When you're talking about who is important and you're not hanging on to this other stuff, it creates a clear picture because this is what's important. You want people to know him. We can't see the heart. God sees the heart. So we can't really judge whether a preacher or a pastor would get up and actually be talking from a heart that loves God or just talking from a talent. You don't know that. That's why he doesn't really tell you to judge other people here. Judge yourself. He's saying, I'm seeing some results. And the results are divisions. That's what the world does, not God's church. Now, I see why it happened, but maybe nobody saw when it started. But somewhere along the line, they let go of Jesus Christ and started hanging on to people, hanging on to baptism, hanging on to things that were not to be at the top of the priority list, were not to be the center of their worship, and now there's division. Paul loves them. He wants them to know. Jesus said in John 12, 32, and we're done. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. This is specifically speaking about his crucifixion. There's a greater principle here. Jesus will do the drawing. We don't have to say it in a certain way. We don't have to come across a certain way, honestly. We just have to repeat out of, out of a heart of love, a heart that loves him, and we know we've got to get this message out. And God will do the rest. God will do the drawing. Now, what does he say in the, in the Great Commission there in Matthew 28, right behind me? He says, just go. Teach all nations, baptizing them. So we know baptism, nothing wrong with that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. This is for all disciples of Jesus Christ. Take the commission that God has given each and every one of us and do it for him. You do it for him, 
He'll get the glory. We'll stay unified. We're all going in the same direction. Hey, you may like green, you may like blue, you may like red. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You may drive a Ford, you may drive a Chevy. Doesn't matter. And so on and so forth. The list goes on and on of things we could divide over. To you, it seems petty. To you, it's important. Keep the main thing the main thing. Hang on to Jesus. Amen. Proclaim who Jesus is to this world. We've got to. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we love you. So thankful, Father, that you have allowed us to get a glimpse, a window into what you were doing here 2,000 years ago in a church in a very sensual city, but yet a church of believers, um, just by very nature of what it is, Lord, an assembly of born-again believers in Jesus Christ. Lord, they were tempted with the same things that we're tempted with. Lord, they're sidetracked with the same things that we get sidetracked with. Lord, you led this man to pastor them, and now in this letter to correct them to lovingly help them to get back on track. Lord, so many applications for us. I I do not know how that hit the hearts in this room, Lord, but you do. Lord, would you just bring an attitude of surrender with us tonight in this room? Would you draw our hearts and our minds to you? Would you help us to have the strength and the character to see what is really important and to let go of the things that aren't? What an act of trust that would be on our part to give you full control. Lord, we love you. We want you to be honored with our lives. In your name I ask, amen. Well, amen.